I want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to the book of Proverbs for what will now be our uh, 16th week uh, in Proverbs. We'll start today uh, in chapter 11, verse 17. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. Uh, In 1959, a man by the name of Igor Dyatlov, he's Russian, Igor Dyatlov, uh, he recruited eight other professional hikers uh, and, and mountaineers to uh, ski and traverse 200 miles uh, across uh, uh, the Soviet Union through this mountain pass that nobody had ever traversed before. Uh, at the time, it would have been one of the most daring expeditions uh, ever taken. And the challenge of this is intensified not only because of the rugged terrain, but Temperatures, right, would easily reach negative 40 degrees. Uh, you were, you would have feet of snow that you're struggling against and, and howling winds. But these were trained expert mountaineers and they knew what they were doing. But just a few days into the expedition, something went terribly wrong. Uh, the, uh, team that had sent them that were, they were waiting to hear from them by telegram. So, right, like these, this, this team of mountaineers is supposed to reach certain villages and waypoints at a certain date, certain time, send a telegram to let the, the uh, station know their progress, but the station never received any telegrams. So after a few weeks of, of nothing, a few weeks of silence, a search team party was sent to look for the group, and what they found, honestly, is like a scene from a horror movie. So what happened, what they discovered was the group uh, in the middle of the night had pitched a tent, and at some point in the night, they exited the tent. But what's interesting is they didn't exit this tent through the entrance, they had to cut a hole in the tent. And so that indicate, indicated that they left frantically in a hurry, but instead of running out of the tent, the team walked single file out of this hole that they had cut into the tent, and some of them in nothing but their underwear. They left all their gear behind walking single file into what was, at, at that point, uh, a horrible, horrible blizzard. And this blizzard uh, would have been uh, an exceptionally strong blizzard. So they walk out of the tent, tear a hole in it, in, not, in many of them nothing but their underwear, in howling winds and temperatures easily reaching negative 40 degrees. Uh, and then the, the search team, they find, they, eventually they find the bodies and they're scattered about some hundreds of yards away. Uh, they find, find, find them with gruesome injuries. Uh, some of them had burn marks. Some of them had t- eyes and, and lips and body parts missing. And then others, others had injuries so bad that they could only have happened if they were hit by a car. And even others were found with unusually high traces of radiation. Now you can imagine that because of all these details and everything that went went wrong and and the, the, the tent and the fact that this is a highly skilled team of mountaineers, that there has been no shortage of theories as to what happened. Uh, some have said Soviet soldiers uh, found them close to a secret military uh, military base and, and led them out of their tent and, and executed them. Uh, some have said that they were uh, victims of an unfortunate uh, missile test, some kind of nuclear missile test. Uh, others blamed a, a local native tribe for murder. And still others, uh, the ones that are actually most widely believed are the Yeti, uh, the Yeti got them and, and killed them, or even aliens. 
Yeah, aliens. There are actually hundreds of theories and sensational stories, and, and thousands of people travel to this location every year to come up with solutions of their own, like what in the world happened to this team? Well, it turns out uh, that the explanation is, is far less sensational. Uh, there was a guy uh, put in charge in 2019 with piecing together the evidence and reconstructing the events, uh, and, and he was chastised uh, by the Russian media. Uh, and, and so what, what the reason was is because he, he explained that the group out basically had to flee their tent because of a mini avalanche. It wasn't a full-scale avalanche, but a mini one. And so they have to flee their tent, fearing that another avalanche would come. And being the expert mountaineers that they were, everything else kind of flowed from that. Like, you could tell that, that each step of the way, they were trying to do something to survive, but they lost their way, and, and one after another met their demise in, this, in these harsh conditions. And so really, it's, it's quite explainable, even very rational. Even the radiation uh, part was uh, explainable. I won't get into all the details, but it's a really, it, it makes sense. They were trying to survive what they thought was an avalanche. But as I said... This guy was severely chastised by the Russian media and even the people, uh, and he was demoted to a position, and he was uh, to a position of, of nothing, and he was completely forgotten. And the reason is because his explanation was just so routine. People, people wanted uh, something that was more sensational. It's just so rational. It stands up to scrutiny, and, and it closed all the holes, but people wanted the sensational. They wanted it to be more than this. This is it's we don't we don't buy it. It is truly amazing what we will do to get what we want, even if it comes to rejecting solid evidence in front of us. It's amazing what we will do to, to try to get what we want. The other way is just too boring. It's too routine and it's not rewarding enough. If you read Proverbs, Solomon is constantly warning his son to be careful about how he goes about getting what he wants. The temptation is to get what you want with ungodly means. Solomon calls this violence. On the other hand, Solomon is encouraging his son to adopt the opposite attitude, not one of violence, but one of gentleness, patience. It seems counterintuitive because this requires you to give up what you want. But in the end, it's most rewarding. So look at chapter 11, verse 17 with me. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Kind versus cruel. Gentleness versus violence. But none of us in this room think ourselves as cruel or violence, right? Even, even those of us in here who might be really hard on ourselves about our sin might, aren't going to think of ourselves as cruel or violent. Why, why would we want to be violent? The answer to that question is our first point. Violence is the taking of something we want with means outside of God's will. Violence is the taking of something we want with means outside of God's will. Take, for example, uh, chapter 26, verse 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. 
digging a pit and rolling a stone are traps designed to catch something, right? And in this case, they're designed to catch another human, to trap another human. Uh, Maybe for revenge, right? Maybe they're designed uh, for murder or maybe for theft, right? You can think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, how they ambush uh, the the man on on the path. And this is the kind of stuff that we usually think of when we think of violence. But there's a reason, there's a reason why the very first warning, right? If you go back to chapter one, the very first warning that Solomon gives to his son is the temptation to, not to lust, not to adultery, not to anything else, but to violence. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Why? We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. The design of violence is to take something and to get it and to get what we want with any means necessary. Murder Thievery and robbery are clearly outside of God's will because they involve taking what is not rightfully ours and doing harm to our neighbor. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation 21.8 Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 I can't stress this enough. Murdering and stealing invoke God's wrath on you. But there are other forms of violence. Listen carefully to this. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away. Why? Because they refuse to do what is just. Chapter 20, verse 7. Violence, in this case, is a lack of justice. It's a lack of justice. It's to see or hear of pain and suffering and do nothing to alleviate. Now, I know justice is hijacked in our culture and plastered on anything to make it into your righteous crusade. Justice has lost almost all meaning. Right? PETA, right, wants justice uh, for animals because they, they want justice for pets. Actually, not just animals, justice for pets because pet being a pet is a type of slavery. Uh, their name should be people for the eradication of all things amazing. I mean, really, who wants to get rid of pets, man? Like, you guys just need to be happy. I'm sorry if you like PETA. Uh, We'll have a talk about that later. But I I think, on the other hand, we're so uh, afraid of using, of, of talking about justice rightly because it's so misused. And we're afraid to admit that justice is the alleviation of poverty, oppression, suffering, and pain. And there's a lyric from a Christian rock band and and it says, stop dwelling on what happens when we die and start helping us while we're still alive. Now let me just say right here that what happens when we die is the most urgent because it's eternal. 
But in the context of this song, and what I want to emphasize is that it's a challenge for the church to care for the whole person. Right? For the church to care for people, body and soul. We can't focus just on the spiritual to the neglect of the physical. And we can't focus just on the physical to the neglect of the spiritual. We have to focus and care for both. There's a reason in in Exodus, God had to rescue His people from slavery before they were free to worship Him. God alleviates the physical to make way for the spiritual. So, we read Proverbs 29, verse 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Or chapter 28, verse 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. And it is, it's violence to neglect justice. So maybe if you're in authority or in a position of power, this is active violence if you exploit the poor, the weak, or the vulnerable. Or, probably for most of us in this room, it's passive violence because we get what we want without thinking of how it expends others at the expense of others. And so what justice looks like is going to be different depending on means and context and a number of other factors. But biblical justice is compassion coupled with action. It means treating one another in a genuinely human way. So Jesus, our prime example, He heals people. Why? To show them the kingdom of God. And even though not all accepted it, he still healed them. Right? This is the reason we're collecting money to build wells and give clean water in Africa. We want to care for people, body and soul. We want people to hear the gospel. We want them to accept the gospel. And we want them to have clean water. So we commit violence and a lack of justice. Biblical justice. But there's a third way that we commit violence, and it's violence through speech. And we've covered this a lot already, right? So we saw what Proverbs says about self-control and about speech. And and a lot of the topics in Proverbs are going to overlap. They inevitably will overlap with one another. But it's important to look at them from all angles. So listen to Proverbs 11, verse 9. With his mouth, the godless man man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Destruction, violence. Or again, uh, later in, in verse 12 of chapter 11, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. We try to chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. We're getting what we want at the expense of someone else using means that are outside of God's will. And this is exactly why the violence of speech is closely related to the violence of murder. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 18 says, A hot man, hot-tempered man stirs up strife. James Chapter 4, verse 2 makes this connection clear. 
What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. This is why the Bible reserves such harsh language for strife and quarreling and division in the body of Christ because strife and quarreling are forms of murder stirred up by words of violence. And we need to be careful about this because the reason that this is so tempting is because we're addicted to it. Like, we're addicted to outrage. (laughs) We're addicted to controversy and to fighting and quarreling and arguing. and, And you might get what you want. You might win the argument. You might embarrass or shame your opponent. You might profit from it. But taking that comes at the expense of someone else using a means that is outside of God's will and it's violence. I don't know if you know this about me. I try to cover the dark secrets of my past. I used to sell ladies' shoes. Uh, in fact, I will often look at your shoes to see what you're wearing. And I'm not, I'm not talking about high-heeled, fashionable shoes. I'm talking comfort shoes, right? The kind of shoes you have to wear from wearing high heels for too long. Uh, and when I first started, it was at Dillard's. Don't like Dillard's anymore. Uh, but uh, until you work there, you know. Anyway, when you first start at Dillard's, they give you this big discount. Go buy some clothes so that you can look professional get the job. So me and Mal went out had a great time buying me some nice salesman clothes, you know, and be a nice looking salesman. I was getting a lot of clothes for a quality price. And the, if you've ever worked in retail or in food industry, one of the worst kinds of customers are last minute customers. You close up the register, you're about to lock the door and someone walks in wanting something. Well, I was that person. I was that customer. And the lady we went to to check us out was not pleased. Uh, She let us know that she was not happy. And I wasn't happy with her. Said, hey lady, enough with the attitude. But by God's grace in that moment, we didn't react to her impatience or her her, um, irritation with us. Instead, instead we were able to show kindness to her in that moment. And, And when... That happens. If you've ever had that happen to you or by you, their disposition changes immediately. Like, almost immediately. It it melts them. I've gotten so worked up or angry, so angry at someone, but but as they say, they, they kill you with kindness. So Proverbs 25, verse 15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. And this is the second point. Gentleness is the forfeiting of something we want with means under God's will. Violence is the taking of something we want with means outside of God's will. Gentleness is the forfeiting of something we want with means under God's will. Gentleness is the alternative to violence. So gentleness is the forfeiting of something we want. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Chapter 12, verse 16. Have you ever wondered, why is it so hard to keep scrolling when we see something that makes us so angry? Or like when we see something that offends us? 
why is it so hard not or so hard not to reply when someone insults us? For me, and I think for all of us, if we we think if we don't reply, respond, they're going to get away with it. They're going to get away with thinking this foolish thing or doing this stupid thing. There's a reason, right? Solomon says in chapter 27, verse verse 3, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. There's nothing like trying to lift sandbags to really humble you and show you how weak you are. And Solomon says, right, provocation by someone is a lot harder to lift or press against. It's hard. And the reason why it's hard is because we we forfeit what we want. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. This is exactly what grace means. This is exactly what grace. It means not giving the other person what they deserve. And what that means when we offer someone grace, when they offend us, when they insult us, when they provoke us, when we offer someone grace, we bear that cost. I've quoted this before, but Timothy Keller said, no one who is seriously wrong can just forgive the perpetrator. But when you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it yourself. All forgiveness then is costly. When we don't show grace, we're putting the cost back on the other person. But when we do show grace, that cost becomes ours. We absorb the pain and the hurt and the offense. Gentleness means forfeiting the right to win. It means forfeiting coming out on top. It means being willing to be embarrassed or shamed. Forfeiting what we think we should have. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is, it is his glory to overlook an offense. Chapter 19, verse 11. It means getting stabbed and not stabbing back. And, and another reason this is hard is because people don't like gentleness. People despise gentleness. 20, chapter 29, verse 10 says, Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. Gentleness looks like weakness. Right? Our, our culture doesn't prize this. We prize fighters and winners. We, we prize being able to punch back. Gentlemen are seen as cowards who, who just don't stand up for believe in. If we are going to choose a superhero, we're choosing Captain America, not Frodo. We're choosing Clint Eastwood, not Napoleon Dynamite. Gentleness means forfeiting what we want, using means that are under God's will. And this looks like chapter 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and He will deliver you. Gentleness looks a lot like surrender. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. You see how this cost comes up again? You're costing yourself to give your enemy bread and drink for you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. Now, I like, I like chapter 20, verse 28. 
Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king. And by steadfast love, his throne is upheld. Not might, not strength, not power. Steadfast love and faithfulness. James is helpful for us again. He says in chapter 3, verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I I like to say people with the Spirit are reasonable people. You're reasonable. In the end, we forfeit what we want using means under God's will because we want God's pleasure. We're not seeking our own pleasure anymore. We're seeking His. We all want that silver bullet. Right? That one silver bullet that's just going to win the argument, bring our opponent to his knees, begging for mercy, confessing how foolish he is. We want that silver bullet. But we are to be known as a people of gentleness. And the reason we can be a people of gentleness is because we're fully accepted by God. And when we're secure in our relationship to God, we're free to surrender everything else that we want, that we think we need to survive. And because God is infinitely patient with us, that leads to our patience with others, our gentleness with others. Because the offense that they do to us is just a fraction of the offense that we cause to God daily, and yet He forgives us, and yet He works for our good, that propels us to work for the good of our neighbor. It changes from trying to win the argument to trying to win the person. And because we're given everything in Christ, we're free to die. Die to ourselves, die to our rights, die to take what we want, and free to give up Everything. And ultimately, the violence of God's wrath was emptied on Christ. The violence of God's wrath due to the that is is because of the violence of our sin was emptied on Christ for you. And the violence of his wrath remains on you if you are not in Christ. But repent and believe today and God's wrath is redirected at Christ for you by faith and repentance. Believe in Him today. Let's pray. Father God, You are a gentle God. You gently lead your people with patience and kindness and mercy. God, how often do we give you reason to punish us for our sin, to condemn us? But you don't treat us as our sins deserve. You don't pay us back. Instead, you return offense with grace. You return sin with forgiveness. God, by Your grace and the Spirit that You give us, help us to repent of violence. Taking what we want 
with means outside of Your will. And God, by Your Spirit of gentleness, make us into a gentle people who forfeit what we want by surrendering to Your will. Not, Lord, because we fear winning or losing, but because we want Your pleasure. We want Your glory. We want Your kingdom. Give us grace, Father. More and more and more grace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.